Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Jessica Shaw of Entertainment Weekly and creator of Mamas, Isabella Rossellini. Hi, everyone. Um, we're going to watch a couple of clips, but I wanted to just um, talk a little bit. Um, it was a little jarring for me the first time I saw Isabella Rossellini dressed as a giant black spider, her face covered with eight eyes, turning her body into mush so her babies could cannibalize her. And we're going to watch that together in a second. Um, and when I watched it, I thought, oh my god, what did I just watch? What is this? And I kept watching, and I watched more and more um, of, these, of these shorts that, that she did for Mamas, which is, will be on the Sundance channel on, on Mother's Day. And each one was more thrilling than the next, and innovative, and funny, and wholly and entirely original in, in, a, in such a great way. And these animals, though incredibly different, as, as you'll see, we'll see if you have one thing in common, they're all mothers. And Isabella Rossellini has turned her unique lens to motherhood in the animal kingdom for this, for this uh, special. And she asks at, at the beginning, what is this trait characteristic to all mothers? What is maternal instinct? And ultimately the answer seems to be anything goes. So I hope anything goes with this conversation, but I'd love to start by um, watching the clip of the spider so you can all get an experience of uh, the awesomeness that we'll be talking about. I love my children, they are all for me. I would give my life for them, as if I were Diael Gandros, the spider. I guard my egg sac. With my web, I catch flies. I catch many flies. I have to gain weight to nourish my babies my spiderlings, when they're born. When they come out of the egg sac, my babies are ravenous. <laughs> if I don't let them eat me, they would eat each other. We spiders are cannibals. Ouch! I... First, my babies eat my limbs. I... 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 But babies eat only mushy food, right? So to help them, I turn my body into mush. Of course, being a mother requires some sacrifices. But isn't this the essence of femininity? Hey, baby, you're biting me. The essence of femininity is to give ourselves. Altruism is in our nature. What's greater than self-sacrifice? It's what makes a woman a woman. Isn't it?
So, writer, director, costume designer, everything. Um, I love it. I love it. So, um, tell us how you came up with, with this idea to, uh, for mamas. Since I was a child, I was interested in animal behavior. And uh, actually, now that I am working less because I'm older, so I can't model, nobody hires me, and I work also less as an actress, I went back to school, and uh, I'm taking a master's degree on animal behavior. And uh, while studying, I have, they make me laugh. These stories make me laugh. And so I started making these short films, and I've done about 48 of them in installment of 10. The first series was called Green Porno, and it was really to use the, to find um, if in the internet we could do series. It was to experiment on this new distribution and this new format. Has anyone seen the Green Porno series? It's pretty amazing. Um, among other things, uh, you simulate sail, snail sex. Yes, right. Of course. Um, and it's it was all about uh, how animal reproduced, and it was uh, successful on the internet. We won several webbies, and so then I was commissioned to do more by Sundance. And then the second series was called Seduce Me, and it was all about uh, the seduction technique. You know, birds singing, feathers colors, parading, all that they do animal to seduce each other. And then the consequences of seduction and sex is maternity. So when they asked me to do more short films, I decided to do one on maternity. So tell me a little bit about, you're in, you're in graduate school. You're just an ordinary New York graduate student at Hunter. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so what what... What are you studying and, and... So Hunter, about uh, maybe four or five years ago, opened a department in the psychology about animal behavior. And uh, um, I always wanted to study it. But when I was a child, I grew up in Italy. And in Italy, there wasn't really, and you know, in the 60s and 70s in Italy, there wasn't really the discipline that you could study zoology, you could become a vet. But really, the study of animal behavior was founded around the 60s, you know, and I think Jane Goodall, um, that you probably know with the chimpanzee research in the wild, was very instrumental in making it in a science, per se, and from that it developed. Um, often you come through things that are too difficult for me, like from genetics or chemistry, but uh, at Hunter, they, the uh, animal behavior is in the psychology department, which is helpful for me because, of course, is an angle that I can, it's easier for me to approach because if it has too heavy science, it, it's hard. And I cannot tell you the pleasure that it is to study when you're older and that you just have to do it for curiosity rather than trying to monetize what you study. Um, by finding a career and wondering if you're in the right field. So I'm enjoying my studies quite a lot. So as you're studying, are you thinking, okay, I, I'm going to turn this one into a film, and, you know, each animal that you're, you know, learning about? Well, mamas actually did come from some reading that I had done, um, particularly one scientist called Marlene Zuck, uh, who is now at the University of Minnesota, she wrote uh, a book called Sexual Selection, where she questions 
maternal instinct and what do we mean by it. And she also looked into very different species to see if there was a common denominator, if there was a characteristic that could really de uh, define maternity. And she couldn't find one. She was, um, she's a, a woman and so she was very uh, worried about uh, biology as destiny. You are one woman, therefore, you are destined to be home, to be self to be more generous, to be less active than men, to be not as strong. Um, and so she, she, she thought that it was tinted, this idea of maternal instinct was tinted by our culture. And of course it was. When you look at close up, uh, you see that the nature is so varied, uh, you can't really pinpoint it and boil it down to an essence. Yeah, which is, I, I, I think, um, when, when you all see the show in its entirety, you'll see that some of these, these mamas, mama animals, you know, you've got cannibals, you've got ones that are, you know, you know, a sibling is like making the mama starve the baby to, to death. I mean, there, this is, there's some brutal stuff going on. Well, I think that uh, what worried uh, uh, Marilyn Izuk, uh, it was to say Darwin, as, uh, Charles Darwin, was looking at evolution. And of course, it was altruism was always seen as uh, a spiritual quality of human being. And we were altruist because then we could go to paradise being good. But Darwin was not so interested in, in religion. He was very interested in biology. And how do you justify altruism in evolution if uh, the fittest is the one that is going to uh, survive? How do you justify that the fittest is self-sacrificing? And he thought maybe the answer is in mothers. And you can imagine that mothers loving their baby and giving themselves to their babies, then at a certain point they extended this uh, generosity to others. And Darwin just stopped there. He didn't look into it further. But he was taken by women scientists and looked into it further. And of course they said, no, no, the essence of femininity it is not self-sacrificing. If anything, we can say that it is good management. And to be a mother, you have to be a good manager. That is the truth. Of your uh, resources and everything. Absolutely. Um, were there, what animal's behavior, I guess, surprised you most and really jumped out at you and said, this is one I need to explore? Well, one is a, quite complicated, so I'm going to try to explain it. It's called the oil beetle. And the oil beetle leaves the, le the, the eggs, and then the eggs hatch, and the little larvae come out. And the little larvae, they know how to position them themselves into looking like a female bee. So a male, and then they smell like the female bee. And that's enough to attract a male bee that would make, attempt to make love to, uh, to, to this imposter. And they jump on the male bee, like uh, fleas would jump on a dog or on us. Then he, the male bee, eventually would make love to a real bee, and then they would jump on the real bee, on the f female bee, and they would get into their nest and take, eat all that she provided for the babies and the babies too. And that incredible complicated, that these babies are born knowing, there is a baby right there, but <laughs> that these babies are born with this ability to create this mimicry um, it's incredible how evolution has created this. So, you know, sometimes when you look at science or biology, it's f m more fantastic than fantasy. Absolutely. And I, th I think, um, why don't we watch another one? Maybe um, 
maybe the toad. Um. I'm pregnant. My belly is so big, I can't even tie my shoe anymore. If I were the toad, Pippa Pippa. I live in the mud. I'm brown, fat, and ugly, but I would still find a husband. Here he comes, serenading me. that I carry on my back are fertilized. Soon I will be a mama. Here are the babies. If I were a toad, I wouldn't have one big baby in my belly, but many little babies on my back. and they will be on my shoulders for quite some time. So tell us a little bit about the process of writing and directing these. Did you sit down and write them all at once? Are you, how are you as a writer? Are you like a power writer? You just Writing is the hardest part of the process. And the hardest, I think, is to read very dry science and to try to transform it into a joke, into something very condensed uh, and funny. So this takes a long time. We generally, uh, Sandance commissioned me uh, generally about 10 episodes. And it takes me generally about six months to write because I also have to invent a basic costume. I have other people that I work with. This film was shot in France because it was a co-production with the French television station called Arte. And uh, so part of the co-production was that I would work in France. And since I've worked as a model for a long time, I contacted all the people in fashion. So I draw the basic solution, but they execute, because I don't know how to sew or execute the costume. And then they add all the details, and I think the costume are quite elaborate and wonderful. Um, that the part of working with my collaborators for me is the most amusing. Uh, people are incredibly talented, and they come to life, and they enrich your work. And that's really so wonderful in films: is collaborating. If you have wonderful collaborators, you see your basic idea growing, and you feel they are making it better and better. For example, I adored the music. I never had a composer. And uh, since my film 
I said to him, I film, I don't know, I'm not very technical, though we are in the Apple store, I should be careful not to say, but I don't really know how to use technology. I have a really hard time. And when you make a film, everything tells the story, even the camera movement, the music, the lighting, everything serves. You can't just, everything serves a purpose, which is to convey the idea that you want to do for your film. And it's very difficult for me to imagine complicated camera move like Hitchcock. But I did see the first silent films where the camera was always very fixed. And it was a very big camera, so it was very fixed. And yet, silent movies are very amusing, although there isn't this frantic editing and this camera move. So silent movie became the style that I have adopted for uh, my film. There was also, they look like they are perplexed. The fact that the camera never moved, you always, when you look at silent film, there is always the feeling like, oh, is this what life is about? Which is also something I wanted to convey in my film. And the musician captured it by playing the piano, just playing the piano, because of course silent movies were shown with piano ac ac accompanied by piano. So he gave it a, another flavor to my film that then also the card became a little bit like silent movie. So as you collaborate with people, um, they underline a certain aspect of your work and they make it bigger and better. And I love that part. When you were working with other people and, and you said, oh, I'm going to make a series of shorts about animals and their maternal instincts, did, did anyone say, what? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, some do. I mean, generally when they see the results, when you hire people, you explain. You know, sometimes it's hard to explain what, you, what I wanted. And it took a, a little bit of a while to explain my French crew. My crews are very, very small. I generally don't want to work with more than eight, ten people on the set, which is unusually. General film, they have at least 50 people. But it's really hard. You have to be like a general that says, action. I always felt like a general that calls the cavalry uh, for an attack. And I, I, it gets me distracted. I am directing. I am acting. I had to do it in two languages because we did the same version in French and English. So there is a lot in my mind. And if there is seven or eight people, you're very intimate, and everybody's in the same page. Once you have many people, there's always a group that is distracted, so you have to be very forceful in your commands, which is something I can't do. Um, sometimes when the film comes out, people are surprised. You know, I had a long career as a model, and so some people feel that this film contradict my image of uh, iconic beauty and things like that, because I worked for many years in fashion. To me, instead, they reveal completely my experience in fashion, because all my costume are so elaborated, and I couldn't have done it if I hadn't had worked in the fashion world for 25 years. And also just how you're able to sort of morph into these other creatures, just it's very, you know. Yes, of course, acting helps, you know. And I always wanted to make, since I was a little girl, I wanted to make films about um, animals. Um, but of course, David Attenborough, National Geographic, they do them so well. You know, I didn't think I could add or do any better than them. But one thing that I didn't find in this film was the sense of humor. And when I look at animals, I find it funny. I find it amusing. I don't know if you are any, if you have any pets or if you are a bird watcher, um, but there is an aspect of nature that it is very funny. I don't know. And that's what I wanted to capture in my film. And of course, I'm an actress, so I said, Let's use my talent. And instead of trying to hide in a camp and trying to capture these images that you see on the BBC documentaries, uh, 
takes years and I don't have that ability, I should use my talent as an actress and play those parts. And it would add to the humor because my intention was to make scientific film, but to make them comical. First of all, this film, I want them to be comical and entertaining. Yeah, they're, they are, I was just gonna say some of the, the nature movies, I think people feel, think like, they're just, they're very earnest and, and these are the opposite of earnest. Um, was there a moment, you're, you're a mother yourself, uh, was there a moment when you were, um, when you were a mother that you thought, what is, what is my biological destiny? You know, where you started to question the connection between you as a mother and the other mothers in the animal kingdom. I don't know. I think I always find it exhilarating where there is many ways to skin a cat, where there is many ways to solve a problem. That's the next series, skinning <laughs> animals. Uh, I, I, you know, I think that one of the things that I found very positive, um, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm from New York and I lived in a fashion world, so of course many of my friends are gay. But you hear that people that don't accept uh, gay, they say it's against nature. But now scientists are looking into nature and actually they find out that homosexuality is also expressed in animals. So you can't really compare a, a man or a woman who makes a, 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 the choice or is gay to an animal, a, a dolphin or a deer that does it. But at least you can't say it's against nature. It is part of nature, and so I find that great solace. Yeah, there's something about um, feeling like, I, I'm a mother, and I, I just feeling like we're kind of all in this together for better and for worse, I think, you know. Exactly, and the same f feeling of relief I felt when there is mothers, you know, um, that there is many ways you can be a mother. Um, you don't have to be pregnant. Uh, uh, there are animals that carry their baby in their mouth and actually they lose weight because as long as they carry the baby in their mouth, they can't uh, uh, eat. Um, they, are <laughs> uh, they are animals like the cuckoo bird, the one cuckoo, cuckoo, that abandon, abandons the egg into another bird's nest and has another mother who's not even of the same species raise her babies. Uh, so it's the babysitters to the extreme. Uh, there is what is called in science allomothering, which is babysitters, aunts, younger sister, helping with the raising of the, uh, of the children, of the babies in the, you know, elephants, uh, for example. You can see sometimes a, a calf, little elephant babies suckling their older sisters, and that's, it's a way for the older sister to learn to be a mama, but he would suckle the mother to get the milk, but to, as we have babies, you know, suckling because it makes them a pacifier, they would do it to their sister who allows them. You see this behavior in a lot of animals, uh, helping with child rearing, and that is also kind of wonderful. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that struck me when I was watching it is I, I think it's some, in some ways it does women a disservice when the perception is out there that, you know, mothers, they're all nurturing and love, and, and like you said in the, in the first Of course, one. this film, they are presenting a different pictures, but it wasn't really, I don't try to do to teach anybody a lesson, or this film or not, they're really, hopefully, just to make you laugh. <laughs> then you can make me think uh, about other things, but I am not here to say, 
This is the way it is. Parenting lessons. Um, let's watch. Let's watch the hamster. And um, and for the baby here, this is hopefully not how you will end up. I am not a monster. Yes, I killed my babies and ate him. It was my tenth child. I was exhausted. If I had been an hamster, he would have been considered natural. If I were an hamster. It's me who decides how many babies I can raise. It's a good morsel to recoup some vitamin and protein that I lost during childbirth. It will give me strength to take care of the other babies. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It is enough. If I were an hamster, I would not be in prison. I would have not been considered a monster, but a good administrator of my strength, abilities, and resources. It's mom over here. She's un clapping uncomfortably. She's not so sure. <laughs> um, the. You actually paid tribute to, to your mother, um, Ingrid Bergman, in the, the Piping Plover, is that how you pronounce it? In the segment, you say, um, or the animal says, if I were as talented as, as, at pretending as the Piping Plover, I would be a Sarah Bernhardt, an Ingrid Bergman. Do you think she would have, uh, she would have appreciated being included in this? I, absolutely, I did it to make my mom happy, though my mom is dead. My mom was Ingrid Bergman, a wonderful, big Hollywood star and a wonderful actress, but she's been dead for 30 years. 
And uh, when I did the episode about the piping plover, which is an animal that lives off here, the coast uh, um, of our uh, northeast coast, uh, this is a little bird that pretends to have a broken wing. If an animal, if a fox or a predator comes near uh, their nest, they start a big scene of pretending to have a broken uh, wing to attract the predator because a predator thinks that it's easier to eat a wounded animal, and so they then and then she flies off. You know, when the when the animal is taken away from um, away from the nest, and uh, so the episode starts with me being a real bad actress and being bombarded by rotten tomatoes and protesting audience. And so frustrated, she said, oh, if I could have been as good as pretending as a piping flower, I could have been a Sarah Bernhard or an Ingrid Bergman. I had to find a name because these films are shown not only in the Anglo-Saxon world, but also in Europe. And they are done in French, so they go to French countries, French-speaking countries like Switzerland, Belgium, Morocco, in fact. Uh, part of Vietnam, I had to find a name that resonates to all culture the same, and I thought Sarah Bernhard would be it. We haven't seen her, there is no footage of her, but it's a mythical name of somebody that lived at the beginning of the century as the great art, art actress of the theater. But then after I said Sarah Bernhard, I said, but my mom would be offended. So I'll say Ingrid Bergman too, and the audience that know that I'm Ingrid Bergman's daughter, they'll understand it. And maybe the other would say, oh, a strange combination. Sarah Bernhardt and Ingrid Bergman, two different eras. <laughs> That's great. So when this um, Mama's debuted at the Berlin Film Festival this year, um, do people respond differently to it in Europe and America? I'm just, I, I um, you know, I, I imagine people in America blush when you talk about a duck's vaginal canal and, you know, things like that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I don't think so. I think that there is, I hope so, that everybody sees the humor. Um, there is more concern in America about uh, being beautiful. A lot of people ask me, um, but if you were a model for Vogue or for a cosmetic uh, company like Lancome, why would you want to play the toad? And I think there is a very big concern in America about your physical appearance, you know, as we know, being thin, <laughs> anorexia is more of a problem in this country than in other, being young, looking young, pretending to be younger than your age, of course is uh, stronger in America than it is in Europe, but this exists in Europe too. So I think I get less that questions, how could you have the cover of Vogue and then want to play the toad or the amster? Uh, I get less of these kind of questions when I do yeah. interviews. I'm sure you, I w it looks at least like you relish every moment of, oh, moment of those, of being in those costumes. And well, of course, I mean, I th first of all, I think they are beautiful, the costumes, and we really work at it, so I don't see them as unglamorous or as, t it's a comical film, you know, and not everything has to be that I'm beautiful, you know, I mean, I just find that to be, didn't we tell, I, at least I took very seriously when I was a little girl that's, the story of the bad queen that looks in the mirror and says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? <laughs> so when you do a film, whether, you know, I was in the film Blue Velvet, where I was still uh, also criticized for, um, uh, this is the woman, uh, uh, I play a woman who has been kidnapped and tortured and uh, raped, uh, and uh, there is some nudity, and she's all black and blue, and so, you know, and wounded, 
And so the nudity wasn't particular, but the nudity in film is always seen as titillating, as sexy, as appealing. So when I appeared uh, in Blue Velvet, not as a sex symbol, but as bruised, uh, people come, you know, they were taken back and they said, but didn't you know that you weren't beautiful? And I said, no, I was playing a rape victim. I couldn't be beautiful. I had to commit to the material. So I think it's more important for an actress to commit to the material than to just be beautiful and glamorous, because uh, otherwise you can't be a good actress, I think. I mean, if you have to play, as you are a model, you generally just play one note. You have to be beautiful and glamorous, so you do that, and you commit to that. But in films, you have to play other things, and then if you do comical things, you have to commit to that material. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to open it up to um, if anyone in the audience has questions. Over here. Uh, hi. Um, it's an honor to meet you. Um, if you were offered the role in Kafka's Metamorphosis on Broadway, would you do it, A? And B, what was it like working with Dennis Hopper? Um, of course, I would love to do, you know, actually Metamorphosis was done uh, on Broadway maybe 20 years ago by Misha Baryshnikov. And, and I think you would need a physicality. It was, of course, the director decided to use Misha because he's a great dancer and he can do things that I cannot do um, because I'm not so physical. But of course, it could be quite wonderful to pretend to become a cockroach from the wonderful book by Kafka, Metamorphosis. And then I worked with the great Dennis Hopper, the director, actor, photographer, um, Dennis Hopper, and painter uh, in Blue Velvet. Um, and Danny was a wonderful man. When I met him, he had just come out uh, of rehab, where he stayed for three years. He, was a, he really suffered uh, tremendously with drugs uh, and abuse. But when he came out uh, of rehab, he was really, you know, he had done so much work on himself and on the nature of human being to understand himself that he was completely wise. He was like a guru. It was wonderful to work with him. And we remained very good friends until the end. I was quite sad to, to miss it, to, to lose him. Um, he was a great, great photographer, too, and I'm really glad to see that his photography is very appreciated. I saw that they were sold, some of his photos were sold recently at Christie's at very, very high prices. And I'm sorry that he died without seeing that uh, that aspect of, the, uh, of his career was also revered. He was very known as an actor, and then, of course, his film Easy Rider, though he didn't direct too many films. But his heart was in photography and painting, and he's now being recognized for that. My question is, uh, now you are a filmmaker, actress, yes. as well as modeling, costume designer, everything. So what attracts you more now at this stage of your of the life, life, yeah. career? Well, you know, I think that um, I started my career doing short comical film for the Italian television. I'm Italian, and I moved to America when I was 19 years old. But my first work was to work for the Italian television, where I sent back very comical interviews and skits. And I work with a, a great comedian that you also know in America, Roberto Benigni, that a few years ago won an Oscar for Life is Beautiful. So Be Roberto and I started together when we were 19 doing these skits on television. And they became quite popular on, American, on Italian television. We worked together for th four years. Then I became a model in America. And uh, models are don't speak, they are just beautiful, and I loved photography, and the fact that I lived in America, 
and work in America made me integrate in this country because before I was living here but working for the Italian television and I never really, part of me was split, you know, I was um, living in Italy but here and so being a model and working in America really integrated me in America and my mother was, as I said, this very famous actress so I was very intimidated about being an actress but after having a very big career as a model I realized that modeling is a lot of acting because you still have to act in front of the camera, of the steel camera, as you do for a moving camera. And so I evolved my modeling into acting. And, and then I went back as, as I'm almost 61 now. And so you start to work less. Of course, I don't model anymore. Nobody wants me. I would like to, but I don't, nobody hires me. And also, model, also acting becomes not as active. You, I might get offered a secondary role, but maybe once every two or three year a, a principal role, but I'm not busy all the time. And then my children are grown up, so I had the empty nest feeling, like my kids moved out of home. So I had time in my hand, and I decided to go back to my original love, which was to make film, comical films, as I did at the beginning of my career, which was interrupted by my huge career in America as a model, and also going back to university to study animal behavior, which was always my hobby, and combining the two. But I think he combines it all. It's filmmaking, it's costume designing, uh, it's uh, making films, uh, it's acting. So in a way, I feel that these films, though they are very small and very niche, uh, but they combine all that I have learned in my life. Do you have plans to do more? I, yes, Sundance and Arte would like me to do more of them. Um, they're always waiting to see uh, how many hits we get, if they are appreciated. You know, there is always, a, so even in experimental uh, televisions like Sundance, where maybe the bottom line and the success and the audience is not as uh, strong as it is in other televisions where they really, uh, every word you say, there's marketing research to see how many people you have. Um, but still, you know, you have to be successful to continue. So we're waiting for the results of MAMA that are coming out this Sunday and probably we'll do another series. And uh, I have also written a monologue which I'm going to perform. I'm leaving in a week to rehearse it in Europe uh, and then perform it in Europe, and then come to America in 2014, always about biology and comical, but it is a theater performance. So possibly a one-woman show. A one-woman show, exactly. That's true. And do you ever think of doing, uh, making a, a full-length feature, directing and writing? I did one that it was an hour long for the Discovery Channel, Animals Distract Me. Um, it, it's possible. I, I actually find that the internet there is this fantastic thing that you are free. There is many stories that can be told uh, shorter than an hour or an hour and a half. And uh, right now I feel that the freedom, that the internet, you can make the films any length you want to be wonderful. When cinema started in the silent era, short films were very popular and then somehow they fell out of grace, or not, maybe the public liked it, but the producer now, the shortest program that you can do on television is the half hour television. Of course, commercial are 30 seconds or one minute, and I love commercial, but the internet, thanks to also the success of YouTube that started, what now, seven, eight years ago, 
show that the audience is ready to and likes to be entertained for two, three minutes, uh, five minutes, 15 minutes, that it's not true that half an hour, one hour, an hour and a half, or two hours is the format that people want. And so this opens up an enormous freedom. It would be like writers that writing a piece that is short, is long, or very long. But right now, filmmakers were, were always told, if you were doing a book, you have to write a book that it is 150 pages, 200 or 300. This is the format. You can't veer from it. And it's restricting, you know. And I see films, and I see, oh, this has been watered down because it has to arrive in an hour and a half. This one has more to be said, and instead it's only half an hour. I wish you had more time to sell more. You'd see that. Yeah. I think we had more questions. Good evening, Isabella. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good. It's such nice to meet you. Thank you very much for coming. Um, You've had such a brilliant and diverse career, and in your modeling days, I mean, you were right there on the same plane as Natalie Wood and Sophia Loren, you know, and then you have this iconic film career, and now this. What for you has been the biggest challenge moving from one medium to the other as you kind of evolve? Um, I think evolving <coughs> is what, I always want to work, I love to work. And evolving, uh, uh, it helps. Uh, if you get nostalgic of just modeling, and maybe after 35 or 40, there isn't really many jobs that you can do as a model. You just best stay depressed all day, waiting by the phone for somebody to call. And that is the same thing with uh, acting. So I'm very grateful to myself to evolve. And of course, at the beginning, there is some skepticism. You know, They say, oh, you're a model, and now you want to be an actress? What makes you think that a model can act? And okay, then they accept that you can act. Then you say, okay, now I'm an actress, I want to direct. Oh, an actress, she wants to direct. Who makes you think you can direct? So you, you do take a dose of that, but, uh, but most of the time it's really um, wonderful to continue to work. And I think there is a common denominator, which is storytelling. I think I'm a storyteller. And last question. Hi, I wanted to thank you as well. Um, I'm from Chile, South America. I'm a pediatrician and a neonatologist, actually. So this, uh, I've been to several deliveries. And of course, my personal um, experience with motherhood and the experience I've, I have with all the babies that I've been, like, at the, the deliveries are, is very, very different from what you just um, showed. Yeah, so it's, it gives you a nice, different perspective. It's just wonderful. Um, actually, I wanted to um, know if you had any ideas of maybe doing this in Spanish, because I, I come from a Spanish-speaking country, and there's a big, um, I don't know, you should definitely do something in Spanish. The, I know, the, you know, the internet... Uh, especially the internet, more than television, is global. I mean, even today they say we're going to podcast it globally. But globally, we don't have one language. So globally, it's always limited by the language. And it's really hard to, in your iPhone, to read the subtitle of this conference. Of course, many people speak English and many people speak Spanish. And maybe there will be more of these major languages, Spanish, Chinese, Arabic. 
there would be, um, you know, because it's true, you know, they, they say you can distribute things internationally, but it's very hard to do it in every language. I've done this film in two languages, and I'll do the, my theatre performance in three languages. I speak Spanish, but not very well, uh, probably not well, and probably well enough to do short films, but I don't know a monologue of an hour and a half. I would make too many mistakes. Um, I, I always thought of this problem that the web allows you to be international, but the language doesn't allow you to be international by making my film in gibberish. You know, that you can make a motion that you can follow without saying anything. So, so this is my, what I would like to do. I don't know that I will be able to write 10 of them and explain complicated signs, but gibberish, it's always been, oh, I wish I could make films in gibberish. Then they are truly international. Congratulations, it's a wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you everyone so much. Thank you so much to Isabella Rossellini and, Thank you. and happy Mother's Day. Thank you to happy her Mother's and to Day. all of the happy mothers. The baby left. Happy and this Mother's will Day. and you should watch Mamas on uh, Sundance on this Sunday and it will also be on Sundancechannel.com where you can, you know, watch it again. So thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Have a good evening. Thank you.